Before today's episode, check out this quick message from our friend Jamie Benning, host of the Filmumentaries podcast. Join me, Jamie Benning, on the Filmumentaries podcast, particularly if you enjoy stories like designer Nilo Rodis Jamiro convincing George Lucas to push him around to help gain the support of his crew on the ailing Howard the Duck. Plam! The door opens. It's George. Everybody gasps. George makes a beeline to me. I'm literally back against the wall. Or hear puppeteer Tim Rose's emotional story behind that iconic Admiral Ackbar shot in Return of the Jedi. I believe the war is something to be proud of, but not to celebrate. Or how Star Wars editor Paul Hirsch tackled cutting so many successful films. The thing that I learned from working with the Palmer is that tension depends on a clock. You need to have the sense that time is running out. Maybe Oscar-winning sound designer Mark Mangini's insightful chat about his work on Blade Runner 2049. Not a, not a single sound from the original Blade Runner in the new film. A great deal of inspiration. That's the Filmumentaries podcast with me, Jamie Benning. Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast, devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Terrence Masson, an incredible VFX artist who's worked on the Special Editions, The Phantom Menace, and so, so much more. Mr. Masson literally wrote the book on CGI, worked on projects like South Park, and now is the chair of the MFA Computer Arts Department at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 110, Terrence Masson. I mean, just let's start at the very beginning. What inspired you to go into movies, to go into design? And then how did you kind of jump into a really burgeoning industry at that point in especially visual effects and computer graphics? Yeah, it was great timing. I wouldn't rather have been born in any other year. I was born in 66. So my dad brought me up reading sci-fi. So in fact, I'm rereading all my Asimov and Heinlein and uh, Frederick Pohl and all this stuff. Uh, Paul Anderson just emailed me back. I just had this fanboy moment. I was like, I was like, I'm going to be still alive. And of course he, he's got a website, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I grew up reading sci-fi and playing chess and, you know, just nerding out. And then, uh, yeah, I still, I still have the original lobby program from seeing Star Wars in 77 mm-hmm. that dad brought me to, you know, instantly hooked. But I was always a technology artist. So a artist first, always pencil drawing, mm-hmm. copying out of like Micronauts comic books and right. huge comic book collection. That's how I learned to draw, just on the floor of my room, just my earliest memories. But then uh, computers, so programming in basic, TRS-80, that kind of came together in undergraduate school in the mid-80s where I could start programming graphics so I could make, you know, use the computer to make art. So I went to, I got my BFA, a fine art undergraduate degree, but with the computer. And this was, when was this? Early 80s? I forget. So the timing was just right to combine the two things that I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. So then obviously, so, you know, the Abyss came out. And then I went to grad school specifically to a program to learn 
alias software on an SDI, which I had learned, that's what they had used at ILM, you know, the early SDIs. Um, so I got to make short animated films and experimental stuff in grad school, specifically only to make a real, I hope strong enough to get my foot in the door at ILM. I was very right. focused. That was it was singular obsession. <laughs> so whether it, you know, hubris, naivete, whatever, I did a short animated film and got on the Mill Valley Film Festival, which is, I guess I learned a, a big deal in general, but it was right in Mill Valley. So it's right near Marin. And Doug Kay, who ran ILM at the time with George Jobluck, saw that. So when I applied, so I got, that's when I got the gig. So I, mm -hmm. I, I flew out to ILM and backed up T2 off of the, the ADR uh -huh. to make room for our, the next couple of flicks, which was Hook, Death Becomes Her, uh, Star Trek, what was it, Undiscovered Country, the political one? Anyway, so I was off and running, and I, I only stayed, my daughter, first daughter, was just born. Mm -hmm. So I, I left after starting uh, original Jurassic Park pre-production. Let's talk about that for a second, because I saw, I saw that it was just a brief note. It just says, initial R&D team for Jurassic Park. What does that mean? Right. What, what, what was going <laughs> on, you know? Like... Yeah, well, the famous story of that, of course, it's well documented about the stop motion right. being the plan and Dennis Murin specifically telling the guys and I was junior, you know, dude yeah. at the time, you know, but telling my buddy, Steve Williams, Spaz, uh, Stephen Fangmeyer and the group saying under no circumstances, are we going to even attempt to do this? Just don't do not spend time doing this. We're not going to do it. So of course I was the flavor of person. That's why I hung out with Spaz playing as, bagpipes in the pit you know it's just you know ask forgiveness not permission so of course he did it anyway and the rest is history um so it was just it was just a very badass it was the wild west you know it's like none of this had ever been done before in fact people were telling us that it could not be done and again i had you know virtually nothing to do with getting that movie <laughs> off the ground. yeah yeah <laughs> you know i don't want to create, claim any credit right, right, at a high right. level but i mean for instance i'm it's, you know dennis brought us there were maybe a dozen of us into C theater at ILM to watch hours. I don't know if it ended up being hours, but clips from every dinosaur movie ever made. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we had like Raquel Welch and, you know, right. 50,000 years, 20,000, 20 million years BC, whatever it is. Um, you know, uh, journey to the center of the earth where they like glued, you know, plastic fins on the top of iguanas and Harry house and stop motion and analyzing what, worked and didn't work on little micro levels to then you know apply to cg and there was you know talk of adding motion blur to stop motion and in post like they ended up doing on um, dragon slayer dragon slayer so uh, later yeah but anyway so but it was a huge run-up because that didn't come out till 93 i think mm -hmm. right this was early 91 right well then, I mean, because that that was your first time at ILM, and then you went and worked for a legend, uh, <laughs> Douglas Trumbull. Like that is very interesting to me because his special effects, obviously, like filmography, but then is translated pretty effectively to these uh, ride simulators. Back to the Future always springs to my mind, but then of course the Luxor stuff that you were working on him with. What was that relationship? What did you learn from him? What did you kind of grow? while you're at the Trumple company. Yeah, so it was another opportunity to ha having the desire and the ability with the timing, right? 
because all of these legends of mine, these mm -hmm. mentors, turned into mentors and friends. They were all like, "What's the CG stuff I'm, heard, I'm hearing all about?" Like, <laughs> Back to the Future had no CG. No, that right. was just that was totally analog, rubber dinosaur kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so I honestly don't remember how I got the call to go out back to my home state of Massachusetts because mm -hmm. Doug in the Berkshires where I ended up buying a house and living for years. So he he asked me to set up an entire department from scratch wow. called the called the Image Engineering Department. I don't know if I came <laughs> up with. Was basically what became in year, later years a uh, pre-visualization, mm -hmm. and we I built this from scratch to pre-visualize the ride film. So it was using SGIs and alias to work with this art department sketches. To mod I mean, it was amazing. We had a stereolithography machines, which were the the precursors to three D printing. So this was mm -hmm. 1992. Mm -hmm. With 3D printing, that would then be molds that would, that would go to the model shop, that would do castings and do duplications in eighth and sixteenth scale yeah. to shoot on a model miniature stage with a motion control gantry that whose camera head was designed by Doug's dad Don, uh -huh. whose moves I was programming with Doug, <laughs> uh -huh. just two of us on a computer planning out moves over CG, you know, and. Yeah. And uh, my good buddy Doug Smith was programming the the motion control gantry with my moves, and I learned so much from him about how to how to massage camera paths because mm -hmm. you're driving this like eight ton gantry crane with with motion control on it. You can't have any bumps in, the, you know, because you'll just you'll tear it off its mounts. Right. Um, so yeah, it was it was amazing. It was unbelievable. And then. I just ended up being the guy, you know, from working with Dennis and then Doug and then the VFX group uh, on the Luxor thing who was another icon of traditional VFX, Joel Hynek, mm -hmm. whose, whose dad was the famous Jay Allen Hynek of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm -hmm. of Project Blue Book, right? right? So, But Joel had done the traditional optical effects at our Greenberg for the Predator. Mm -hmm predator effect and he did lady hawk yeah and i'm like oh my god so this is now so this is now my new boss right so he's right. like so tell me about this computer stuff <laughs> and uh so yeah and then he we all left that all disbanded and we had nothing to do and then um i'm really going off on a tangent a bit yeah, but it's, it's all this is all tied in together because um so then i got a call from scott ross who i was just zooming with today, my old boss at ILM, who said, I'm starting this company in LA with Jim Cameron and Stan Winston to compete with ILM. You want to come and help start it up? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because I would just I just wrapped this gig in Western Massachusetts. Right. What the hell am I gonna do? So that was digital domain, of course. Right. So this was early ninety three. And uh, you know, I would drive up to a warehouse in the north of LA to pick out video games to put in the lobby, you know, right. painting place and stuff. So opening D B. But all these projects started exploding. Like yeah. Joel was saying, um, Judge Dredd, we did some, the original Judge Dredd with uh, Stallone, which was great. Um, and then he got Joel. So I, Joel said, should I come and join you at, at DD? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you know, what, what else you got working on? He says, well, I got offered two projects. And I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to take one. It's with Robin Williams. 
and it's what dreams may come. He described he described that. I don't know if you remember that movie, mm-hmm. all the painterly. And I said, "Oh, do that. That that sounds great. That's that's amazing." Robin Williams, and it looks beautiful, gorgeous. Right. I said, uh, "Yeah, I mean, DD, we're going to be here for the long shot. Come, oh, you know, later." <laughs> right. So what's 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 the other project they wanted you to VFX to? He said, "Oh, it's some schlocky sci-fi thing. I'm going to give it to my camera assistant. You remember um, John Gaeta?" I said, oh, yeah, John, he's a cool dude. He was like, he would like run the raves for us in the, uh, in the barns, in the barns out in the countryside. And he's a little canvas. So I'm going to give this, this, this gig to, to John to supervise. It'll be his first thing. He'll, he'll, and that was a mate, the matrix. <laughs> so Joel actually ended up winning the, winning the Oscar that year. He won it. He won the Academy Award for uh, right. what dreams may come, but John did pretty good with the matrix whole thing. Right, I think he did okay. Yeah. That's great. I mean, because a digital domain, especially those early years, it's, I mean, still, it's True Lies, Interview with the Vampire, things like that, like pretty... Yeah, those are the first movies. Actually, the very first feature film we did work on, it was, all, all, it was only 2D, was, um, was a Bruce Willis, uh, The Color of Night. The Color of yeah, Night. Yeah, The Color of Night was the first one we did. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was, a, it was a Jeep commercial. We did uh, uh, a logo for Tim Burton's production company. I think it was the very, very, very first thing. But uh, I left pretty quickly. Again, it was just the heyday of help us come start. That, my thing was both mentally and my, my, my interest, and also what I was asking to do was start places up from scratch. So after right. having done that for Doug and done that with DD, Warner Brothers called me to do that for Warner Brothers. They didn't have any mm-hmm. kind of in-house thing at all. So I did that at, at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think um, the Apollo 13 was after, after I had left, and and it kind of hadn't mm-hmm. started yet. But that's still, I mean, at Warner Brothers, I think you were working with Dykstra, Batman I know. Forever. I mean, right, like, still, cool right. Stuff. So I mean, I met <laughs> nothing does. I know. I met DD over, and yeah. you know Jim Cameron and John Bruno, John Bruno yeah. and um, these guys. And then yeah, at uh, Warner Brothers, it was uh, um, so John Dykstra again was like. So tell me about this computer stuff. You know, it's like John freaking Dykstra, man. <laughs> right. You're like, like, wait a who, second. Who actually paid me a dollar bet. I actually, I mean, he's one of the smartest guys on the planet. We had a bet about the yeah. pivot point of a helicopter. Because we, again, we were building the department from scratch, but also doing one-on-one previs. Like I was doing a lot of on studio lots with John about the um, Batman, uh, Batman Forever. Was that, that was the Batman flying the helicopter over uh, a digital Gotham right. city and doing the big 300 foot drop and stuff like that. Yeah. Warner brothers. It's like, so I got, uh, I'm looking, I don't know where I have stuff hung up. Chuck Jones, you know, it's like, Chuck, uh-huh. sign this. Please. Please. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. All these, all these guys are hanging out then. Uh, and another, a funny story was, uh, so John Bruno was really tight with Jim and John was, I don't know if this is like a public story or not, but John was originally the VFX soup on Titanic and John Bruno was offered the chance to direct a film, which ended up being what was it, Jamie Lee Curtis. It was like a Russian trawler ship that got like hit with alien lightning. And it was like one of these like deep rising kind of sea creature things. Anyway, huh. so he got so John Bruno got offered to direct this movie and he said and he turned it down. And Cameron found out about this and he said, why did you do that? And John was just so loyal to Jim. He said, no, no, I've committed to you to VFX soup Titanic. You've been trying, you've been planning this movie for a long time. And Jim said, don't be an, you know, I don't know what his exact words, but you know, you know, don't be an right. idiot. 
when a major Hollywood studio asks you to direct a movie, you say yes. So John yeah. went off and did that, and he said, "I'd never direct again." It was the most horrible experience of my entire life, <laughs> and that's how. Uh, oh my God! Uh, what's his name? Got uh, his whole career took off by VFX. I mean, after all of this, you make it back to ILM, and that second right. time, because now we're hitting, we're hitting right. the sweet spots. We're hitting the, and we're hitting the stuff. There it is. Look at that. Star Wars trilogy special edition VFX crew making, making marketing, marketing miracles. This is the shirt that I being shown. And there's the the front of the shirt, which is everyone who's listening knows it, which is the bad review right. of Star Wars that George wears uh, for Phantom Menace uh, that I have searched on eBay for forever. <laughs> One day I will get it. It'll be it'll be it'll be fine. Um, but let's talk about the special editions. Was that your first project at your return to ILM, or what was your first kind of run up to? It that? was, yeah. So so there was a guy who was running a company called Parallax which made a software called Matador, which for a really brief period was really taken over um, animated, animatable spline rotoscoping stuff. And I just, I ate this up. I was just a master at the software. I just, I completely, you know, absorbed myself in it. And um, that company eventually folded, but he ended up getting hired as a management of some kind up at ILM. And I had left DD to start Warner Brothers and then roll that off into a bunch of startups. I started my own consulting company called Digital Photography, F-A-U-S, photography, for your French out there. Uh, <laughs> did the original Bud Frogs commercial, did uh, a couple of kids from the Midwest asked me to try to get this construction paper comedy thing sold to Comedy Central. Yeah, for them. I was going to ask about that. But, yeah, so um, that was... That went nowhere though, right? No, was I was like... And, you know, we sold the series. We, you know, it's Comedy Central picked it up and they said, great, you can build our studio now, too, for that. And I'm like, <laughs> I just got called back to ILM specifically to work on the special edition trilogy. So have fun with those, you know, farting peanut head joke <laughs> dudes. Uh, Terrence and Phillip, you know, of the. Right. Well, so because uh, people might not. We're talking about uh, South Park. Oh, yeah. Uh, South Park. So, yeah. What, what? So what did you design for them? Obviously, it's quote unquote animated, but it's a whole computer generated process behind it and i'd love to kind of delve into that just briefly well well that's that's what i designed for them so they mm -hmm. they had done a traditional construction paper animation stand downward looking you know right camera short called the spirit of christmas so it was jesus mm -hmm. with the santa claus and i'm sure this is you know eighth generation vhs dub copy yeah. on YouTube up there somewhere and that's so then they did a pilot for this series they were going to propose to comedy central but it was all shot with construction paper and it took, you know, a year to produce 22 minutes. And so again, I, you know, I had this reputation for doing the impossible things that had never been done before and starting stuff up. So they, they found me somehow and said, is there any way we can do this with this computer graphic stuff? And I said, <laughs> sure, why not? In here is a, a plastic baggie full of the original construction paper cutout heads. Oh my God. And mouth shape from, South Park. So anyway, I just I did a, a 10 second ray trace film grain three two pull down conversion copy just by eye by hand, and that's what we showed to Comedy Central, and they said, "Why are you showing us two things of the same thing?" I'm like, "Well, one is one is computer generated and can be done in a week, and the other is done with construction paper and takes nine months." <laughs> so that's oh, I love it. 
That's great. Yeah. So yeah. So Terrence. Not a big deal. Yeah. I, I still don't know who Philip is, but <laughs> namesake. Uh, but anyway, so I had I had just wrapped that when my buddy called me up at ILM. He said, "I know you're busy, but would you drop everything and move your family up from LA back to the Bay to work on the special edition trilogy?" And you know, I hadn't I hadn't hung up by the time I, I bought the plane ticket. So I mean, obviously. It was Empire and Jedi specifically. What what was that process like? <laughs> Obviously, it's it's so it's interesting to me because I don't know if you, it was the first time I saw Star Wars in a theater. So like I always have a very warm place for the special editions in my heart because that is like the first time I saw Star Wars on a big screen. Right. Uh, obviously that 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 work is very I'm sure nerve wracking touching something like that. What were the types of shots you were working on, or what was kind of your your main task going into them? Yeah, well, it's probably worth saying to everybody listening that this was this was like I get into video games after this, and it was still the late '90s, way before what video games are today. You know, it was still right. nerds like us in our parents' basements, you know, playing hardcore PC like that South Park episode. Um, <laughs> right. But the same thing, and but the same thing, the mythology of Star Wars was still just the original trilogy. That was it. Mm-hmm. Because this was 1996, and this was going to be retouching and, and testing and experimenting on the original three movies so that we could then start the next trilogy, which mm-hmm. was going to be Phantom Menace Episode One. In like 99, I guess we started that, or 97. or Yeah, so I had gotten, and they had basically wrapped on assigning all of the shots for Episode Four for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I begged and please, please, just let me just let me touch a pixel. Just let me touch a pixel. Right. I'll do anything. And they're like, no, it's it's all it's and it's gone. We need you on Empire. Yeah. We got it. We got it. We got to do this Cloud City sequence on Empire, and you got to do that. So um, that was the, the my main contribution. And there were a couple other TVs as well. But uh, the big the landing, I got to fly the Falcon. Mm. Uh, into Cloud City, and it was it was amazing. It's it's, a, it's as amazing as it sounds. Um, right. they, you know, they had I had I had you know Ralph Macquarie's original matte paintings to recomposite with digital elements created by our modelers and the view painters and all that. So I so the different types back then the, the specialties hadn't really hit TDs. So back then it was still so relatively new that a production TD like me would light and render and shade and composite and roto and final a shot. So I, you know, I mm-hmm. touched the last pixel. That pixel you see in the theater is mine, you know, mm-hmm. mine. And whenever you say mine in this business, it means I happen to, you know, that was my, I want to be very clear. It's a huge team. <laughs> yeah. right. Incredibly yeah. talented, amazing people. They, you know, they call them view painters. That was the three, like Ron Woodall did like a lot of the, um, the 3D painting of the of the models and like Terry Montessori was there doing Roto and but it's not like today where you you know most TDs are hyper specialized and it would be a massive right. team of people. It ended up literally being just me because it was coming up on Christmas and George kept asking for more shots and people were going right. with their families and it was literally just me and I mean only me in the building <laughs> alone with the producer yeah. coming in like once a day saying can I order you pizza. You need anything, yeah, yeah, um, for finaling those those last bunch of shots. And I think by then it might have. I think it was just that one sequence. 
that was that time mm -hmm. sensitive, working straight through Christmas and New Year's. Because then I think the Jedi sequence that I I was given, uh, the Sarlacc sequence, mm -hmm. the tentacles from the beak. Again, there were a couple other TDs that did some shots too, but I, I got uh, got to do the first digital blaster bolts and digital lightsabers, <laughs> just you know, yeah. visibly looking at the old elements and again, recompositing those miniatures and live action plates and it was uh it was a rush it was and then phantom menace it, you know we didn't know how bad jar jar was at the beginning well we we, we knew it instantly but you know <laughs> that was no bad. you i no this is a jar jar apologist podcast this is we're all good here because again <laughs> it's like special editions again not to date myself i was five when special right. editions came out right, right. so then i was seven when Phantom Menace came out, right? And so October 1999. Oh, did you love Jar Jar? Halloween, for Halloween, I was Jar Jar Binks, right? Oh. Like it, it, it hit. It was, it, was, it was the correct time and place. But also, even character aside or whatever, the, the work that was done for the prequels and for Jar Jar changed movies, right? Obviously changed how movies are made. Like you wouldn't get an Avengers movie or any movie without Jar Jar Binks. And so even for that reason... We got. I, I celebrate Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, so I, that was my first formal supervising gig was to supervise the what we call the we call it the stampede sequence because it started with the troop landing carrier ships onto Naboo, and the droid carriers are are you know deployed on uh, the hologram things and then you know Qui Gon's running through the swamp and he he literally smacks into Jar Jar, right. and you know. Silly things happen, and then they they jump underwater, uh, and then that was taken over by another supervisor, and then I TD'd a, a, a whole ton of underwater shots of the of the city, you know, with the with the yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so that was you know, pinch me, I'm dreaming, right? That's, I mean, it's very interesting again because special editions are kind of touching that for the first time, and then of course like Dennis Muren and working kind of side by side, making sure that like digital Star Wars felt real and, and was real is still very interesting to me. And I'd love to delve just a little bit more, especially Phantom Menace wise. Yeah. Your process, taking things like what you're describing are all very fantastic, right? Like the Gungan city is not something that you would see walking down the street, right? It's a little bit different okay. than, oh, than some uh, other things. So it's like, yeah. what was your kind of mindset and how did you kind of make sure that that was feeling realistic, but also kind of still feeling kind of star Wars fantastical at the same time. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a great question. Well, I mean, it all, it all starts with the unparalleled, uh, the ILM art department, you know, that's where everything is born. That's where the, the dreams are first sketched out, but it was still <laughs> yeah. such a small crew that everybody had input. Um, you know, Alex Laurent, I think that might've been one of his first gigs there. Um, you know, I get to make suggestions on the, you know, anti-gravity fountain things for the big ending celebration. And, mm -hmm. but everybody could do that. You know, everybody could just talk to each other. And yeah. George wasn't around much. He wasn't, I don't know if I saw him much at all during Phantom Menace. He was, uh, it was a really tight crew on the special edition. So we, we literally actually had, so on in the, the old Kerner complex in San Rafael before the big move to the Presidio, that's the location where we did the special edition trilogy. And it was just a bunch of, one story, well, two story, C building in a in a parking lot next to a Circuit City, and a and a waste treatment plant, literally. So the special edition crew were housed in one specific small building that had separate extra key card access to even get into the building. 
So he would come down and do dailies and talk to us personally one-on-one about, oh, so you got to do this and you say yes. And then you go, he leaves the room and you go, oh, I have no idea how we're going to do this. Well, the producer <laughs> goes, hey, what did you say yes for? Right. <laughs> you know, we're going to film on Thursday. This is Monday. Yeah. Um, so, but Phantom Madness was huge. It was like, I don't know, 3,000 shots. There were three visual effects supervisors on that film. So John Knoll did... Um, you know, a third of the movie, mostly around the pod race, a lot of models and miniatures, right? Right. I was on Dennis Muren's crew again. Um, and I think, I want to say Chris Squires? I mean, um, Scott Squires. <laughs> this isn't, yes. Yeah. This isn't, yeah. <laughs> Scott Squires. I think he was the third VFX suit. Don't quote me on that. You have to Google that up. And each of those VFX suits had an entire crew on them that was probably three times the size of any other single movie that had ever been done. So it was just a massive, massive endeavor. And it was, you know, yeah. it, it was an all digital movie. I think famously there were one or two shots out of 3000 that that actually were not touched digitally in any way. Going from Star Wars and uh, you, <laughs> Star Wars was 25 years ago, Phantom Menace. Yeah. Uh, 20, and so now, you know, I love kind of seeing your career progress. First, I'd love to touch a little bit on, on video games and your work there, especially right. your earliest work with, with Trumbull and kind of then seeing that progression and maybe touching a little bit on the similarities of video games and what maybe you're doing with Phantom Menace and then the differences of what that takes to really kind of put these first-gen computer-generated video games together. So I, I grew up a gamer. Um, I rolled dice with Gary Gygax to drop a name. There you go. That's, that, is a, that is a name <laughs> drop for, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, original D&D before there was an A, you know. D&D. Right. Um, back in the mid seventies, late seventies, uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know I spent about a billion quarters in video arcades in in high school. Uh, mm-hmm. I was never a console guy, except for the you know uh, Atari twenty six hundred and, and NES. I, mm-hmm. I never went on to uh, any of the later consoles, so mm-hmm. it was just a natural thing for my freelancing and, and company startup stuff, um, doing pre rendered cinematics for. You know, Siberia 2, you know, 320 by 280 pre-rendered cinematics and stuff. Um, And then the reason I left ILM the second time, for which I was told I was an idiot, was to work on a video game. Uh, You're leaving ILM to work on a video game. Because remember, this was, again, the late 90s. Right. But Microsoft and Universal, who actually hired me to to, um, help out doing a first-party title a Bruce Lee title for the era. Right. Helped develop the, the original Xbox. That And that was basically based on a PC architecture. So unlike PlayStation, which is a very hyper-specific memory architecture, PC was basically, you know, you get 256 megs of RAM or whatever it was at the time, and you could use it any way you want. So it was very free <laughs> in leading a programming team uh, to do that. And being a lifelong martial artist, I got to work with the Lee... Right. It's crazy. And yeah. his, so, yeah. And so Bruce's original, very, very first student, Taki Kimura, I hired him and all of his students and his bro- and his son to motion capture. Oh my God. Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do moves. So right. here I am with, I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> flying these guys up to Microsoft Research right. to do head scans. Yeah. And I built a studio down in, oh, it was down in like um, Crenshaw. It was like down in the, the hood of LA with next to, I remember walking to a Krispy Kreme and um, building a motion capture studio. Because motion capture, this was, it's an interesting parallel if people are into this, the, 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 the concept of motion capture and all the different systems that sprung out of that, you know, whether it's optical or magnetic and, you know, ping pong balls on the suits and stuff was being invented right at this time. So we had to really cobble together stuff. You know, this is the late nineties now. Um, but anyway, so that, that was my first big foray back into a major video game way and pulled that off. And then, Maxis, before they had been bought by EA, had Sims franchises, if you remember. Mm -hmm. So they they hired me. They said, we need to make content for um, SimCity 4. Can we just, can you just do, subcontract it out, do however you want to do it. So I ended up building a studio and hiring another 10 studios around the world. Wow. To basically just create all of the multi-resolution in-game assets for SimCity 4, which I think was, uh -huh. I mean, that was on shelves for like 10 years. Yeah. That was an amazing title. That was a blast. That was so much fun. But you asked, you know, that's video games. No, that's that's why. And I mean, it's it's, it's so great hearing you talk because it, it really is, I mean, the final kind of part of my questions, which are now education-based. And it's always right. so, so great to see like, you then returning that knowledge and obviously learning from people around you, but being able to, whether it's SIGGRAPH or Northeastern or the book or where you are now, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey as a teacher and as a mentor for this next generation as things have been um, continuing. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked because that's, I, I could not be happier now. I'm just, I'm so blessed to be at the School of Visual Arts leading the uh, it's a two-year MFA in computer arts doing this mm -hmm. stuff um, for a hundred graduate students and you know, you know 45 of which graduate every year um, right. and it's so it's story development it starts with so Brandon what do you want to do for your thesis and you said well <laughs> I have this idea and you know working for two years until they win a student academy award and we've mm -hmm. had like nine student academy award winners. Wow in 30 years. So it's at the highest level competing mm -hmm. worldwide with these students. And SBA is an amazing place. The leadership is unparalleled. 1947, I think was founded. It was one of the very, very first computer graphics programs, which is now, the school was 1947. My department is 35 years old. But uh, no, I mean, coming up through the ranks, it was, you know, a small percentage of people had the desire and whatever ability it is to start mentoring more junior people. Mm -hmm. And I just enjoyed that. I, I was just, you know, started to be asked by people, you know, could you help me figure this out? Or what do you think about this? Or I can't solve this, can you help? And I was I was good at it. I, not only just the problem solving, but communicating and, and you know, being humble. So I, as you become a supervisor and then a director and a producer, for me, teaching was just completely natural. And I'm volunteering at SIGGRAPH, the conference, since 88. Um, I was the computer animation festival chair in, <laughs> I'm going to get decades off here, 96? <laughs> 96? Uh -huh. 
Um, and I took, so it was an animation festival producer, so a director. So I took the, whatever it was, 90 minutes festival on the road, you know, on a world tour, you know, mm-hmm. brought it, showed it at Pixar for the employees and ACM, SIGGRAPH chapters all around the country and world. And I showed it in Boston to the Boston chapter and it happened to be screened at Northeastern University. We said, thank you very much for bringing this. It's an amazing experience for our students. What are you doing, by the way? I said, well, funny you should ask. I'm just looking maybe to get into teaching. And, you know, I'm kind of burned out on the production thing. And I'm, oh, really? Well, we're looking for somebody to, to start up a video game and interactive media program from scratch at Northeastern University. You know, you just don't get asked that. You just don't, you know, at a major research university. Um, <laughs> so I ended up staying there eight years, learning a lot. Um spinning off a startup company out of one of my capstone projects to do a mobile location-based augmented reality. Uh, again, probably about eight years too early because uh, that was like 10 years ago and ended up I, you know, getting the call from a buddy of mine in LA saying SBA looking for a department chair head of their MFA department. And would I happen to know anybody? <laughs> You're like, wait a second. I might know one person. I'll take that call. So anyway... <laughs> No, I mean, for people listening, yeah, I'm glad you asked about education for, hopefully people get the sense, timing is so much of everything. Being somebody, I think, has defined luck. Well, I like this definition of luck. (laughs) Being really, really, really over-prepared for timing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have the skills and the desire and you're ready to go for something, and you happen to get that completely random call from nowhere, then, you know, it's not luck. It's, it, it, you know, but for students, it's just, that's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a combination. I actually just had a great conversation with another guest about how it's, it is that combination of you having the skill, but it's just putting in that work. And that way when luck happens, which it happens, especially for breaks and for, right. for opportunities, but you, you've worked hard to get to that spot. It's not going to be like, oh, like, surprise, I, I'm lucky. It's no, I've worked very hard <laughs> to get to this moment. Yeah, and you said it right there. That, I mean, time and again, I can't tell you how many stories I've been told that it's, it, I was never the smartest one in the room, let me tell you. <laughs> it's just, I wasn't. Um, I was almost certainly the most enthusiastic <laughs> to a fault, mm-hmm. um, tenacious, and worked harder. I just mm-hmm. not not to try and work more harder than other people. It just I just love I live and breathe this stuff. I just love it to death. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you just for anybody listening, you you know, you're probably not going to be the best person at what you do. You're probably not going to be the smartest, tallest, strongest, you know, whatever. But um, the other thing about working, just working harder than anybody else, outwork the competition. Um, is that's the bell curve. I tell that to my students, you know, after I scare the crap out of them about how comp- how competitive this business is, it's still a bell curve. You know, whether you're an accountant or a doctor or a plumber or a CG artist, 50% of people are less than average in that field, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're just a little bit more than average, you're going to get noticed and you're going to get hired and if you're a pleasure to work with and you're a good team player, you know, and you're humble, I tell my students just, you know, you just try uh, strive to be better than everyone else.
you'll never be that, but you'll, the striving is what will get you there. This is great. It, what it, this feels like I was in class. I learned a lot. Uh, <laughs> Terrence, thank you for coming on. Uh, this was such an honor. I, I really appreciate the time and the stories. Oh, that's all right. No, it, it, it's all intertwined. I know I went off on a lot of non-Star Wars stuff. It was, uh... No, I uh, I set up my questions for a reason. It's because it's, it's never just Star Wars because it's, <laughs> it's, always, it's always connected, but I appreciate it. That's all right. Thanks again to Mr. Masson for taking me to school with his incredible insight and stories. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter at tmasson. Links are in the show notes. If right now you can leave a five-star rating interview for this show, it means a lot and really helps us out. Next week is my interview with Nick Maley, that Yoda guy, who helped create and sculpt so many of the creatures that we love from the original trilogy. So, until then, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.